0: chapter fifty two of barchester towers by anthony trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom chapter fifty two the new dean takes possession of the deanery and the new warden of the hospital mr harding and the archdeacon together made their way to oxford and there by dint of cunning argument they induced the master of lazarus also to ask himself this momentous question why should not mr arabin be dean of barchester he of course for a while tried his hand at persuading mr harding that he was foolish over-scrupulous self-willed and weak-minded but he tried in vain if mr harding would not give way to dr grantly it was not likely that he would give way to dr gwynne more especially now that so admirable a scheme as that of inducting mr arabin into the deanery had been set on foot when the master found that his eloquence was vain and heard also that mr arabin was about to become mr harding's son-in-law he confessed that he also would under such circumstances be glad to see his old friend and protege, the fellow of his college placed in the comfortable position that was going a-begging it might be the means you know master of keeping mr slope out said the archdeacon with grave caution he has no more chance of it said the master than our college chaplain i know more about it than that mrs grantly had been right in her surmise it was the master of lazarus who had been instrumental in representing in high places the claims which mr harding had upon the government and he now consented to use his best endeavours towards getting the offer transferred to mr arabin the three of them went on to london together and there they remained a week to the great disgust of mrs grantly and most probably also of mrs gwynne the minister was out of town in one direction and his private secretary in another the clerks who remained could do nothing in such a matter as this and all was difficulty and confusion the two doctors seemed to have plenty to do they bustled here and they bustled there and complained at their club in the evenings that they had been driven off their legs but mr harding had no occupation once or twice he suggested that he might perhaps return to barchester his request however was peremptorily refused and he had nothing for it but to while away his time in westminster abbey at length an answer from the great man came the master of lazarus had made his proposition through the bishop of belgravia now this bishop though but newly gifted with his diocesan honours was a man of much weight in the clerico political world he was if not as pious at any rate as wise as st paul and had been with so much effect all things to all men that though he was great among the dons of oxford he had been selected for the most favourite seat on the bench by a whig prime minister to him dr gwynne had made known his wishes and his arguments and the bishop had made them known to the marquis of kensington gore the marquis who was lord high steward of the pantry board and who by most men was supposed to hold the highest office out of the cabinet trafficked much in affairs of this kind he not only suggested the arrangement to the minister over a cup of coffee standing on a drawing-room rug in windsor castle but he also favourably mentioned mr arabin's name in the ear of a distinguished person and so the matter was arranged the answer of the great man came and mr arabin was made dean of barchester the three clergymen who had come up to town on this important mission dined together with great glee on the day on which the news reached them in a silent decent clerical manner they toasted mr arabin with full bumpers of claret the satisfaction of all of them was supreme the master of lazarus had been successful in his attempt and success is dear to us all the archdeacon had trampled upon mr slope and had lifted to high honours the young clergyman whom he had induced to quit the retirement and comfort of the university so at least the archdeacon thought though to speak sooth not he but circumstances had trampled on mr slope but the satisfaction of mr harding was of all perhaps the most complete he laid aside his usual melancholy manner and brought forth little quiet jokes from the inmost mirth of his heart he poked his fun at the archdeacon about mr slope's marriage and quizzed him for his improper love for mrs proudie on the following day they all returned to barchester it was arranged that mr arabin should know nothing of what had been done till he received the minister's letter from the hands of his embryo father-in-law in order that no time might be lost a message had been sent to him by the preceding night's post begging him to be at the deanery at the hour that the train from london arrived there was nothing in this which surprised mr arabin it had somehow got about through all barchester that mr harding was the new dean and all barchester was prepared to welcome him with pealing bells and full hearts mr slope had certainly had a party there had certainly been those in barchester who were prepared to congratulate him on his promotion with assumed sincerity but even his own party was not broken-hearted by his failure the inhabitants of the city even the high-souled ecstatic young ladies of thirty-five had begun to comprehend that their welfare and the welfare of the place was connected in some mysterious manner with daily chants and bi-weekly anthems the expenditure of the palace had not added much to the popularity of the bishop's side of the question and on the whole there was a strong reaction when it became known to all the world that mr harding was to be the new dean all the world rejoiced heartily mr arabin we have said was not surprised at the summons which called him to the deanery he had not as yet seen mr harding since eleanor had accepted him nor had he seen him since he had learnt his future father-in-law's preferment there was nothing more natural more necessary than that they should meet each other at the earliest possible moment mr arabin was waiting in the deanery parlour when mr harding and dr grantly were driven up from the station there was some excitement in the bosoms of them all as they met and shook hands by far too much to enable either of them to begin his story and tell it in a proper equable style of narrative mr harding was some minutes quite dumbfounded and mr arabin could only talk in short spasmodic sentences about his love and good fortune he slipped in as best he could some sort of congratulation about the deanship and then went on with his hopes and fears hopes that he might be received as a son and fears that he hardly deserved such good fortune then he went back to the dean it was the most thoroughly satisfactory appointment he said of which he had ever heard but 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 said mr harding and then failing to get any further he looked imploringly at the archdeacon the truth is arabin said the doctor that after all you are not destined to be son-in-law to a dean nor am i either more's the pity mr arabin looked at him for explanation is not mr harding to be the new dean it appears not said the archdeacon mr arabin's face fell a little and he looked from one to the other it was plainly to be seen from them both that there was no cause of unhappiness in the matter at least not of unhappiness to them but there was as yet no elucidation of the mystery think how old i am said mr harding imploringly fiddlestick said the archdeacon that's all very well but it won't make a young man of me said mr harding and who is to be dean asked mr arabin yes that's the question said the archdeacon come mr precentor since you obstinately refuse to be anything else let us know who is to be the man he has got the nomination in his pocket with his eyes brimful of tears mr harding pulled out the letter and handed it to his future son-in-law he tried to make a little speech but failed altogether having given up the document he turned round to the wall feigning to blow his nose and then sat himself down on the old dean's dingy horsehair sofa and here we find it necessary to bring our account of the interview to an end nor can we pretend to describe the rapture with which mr harding was received by his daughter she wept with grief and wept with joy with grief that her father should in his old age still be without that rank and worldly position which according to her ideas he had so well earned and with joy in that he her darling father should have bestowed on that other dear one the good things of which he himself would not open his hand to take possession and here mr harding again showed his weakness in the melee of this exposal of their loves and reciprocal affection he found himself unable to resist the entreaties of all parties that the lodgings in the high street should be given up eleanor would not live in the deanery she said unless her father lived there also mr arabin would not be dean unless mr harding would be co-dean with him the archdeacon declared that his father-in-law should not have his own way in everything and mrs grantly carried him off to plumstead that he might remain there till mr and mrs arabin were in a state to receive him in their own mansion pressed by such arguments as these what could a weak old man do but yield but there was yet another task which it behoved Mr. Harding to do before he could allow himself to be at rest. Little has been said in these pages of the state of those remaining old men who had lived under his sway at the hospital. But not on this account must it be presumed that he had forgotten them, or that in their state of anarchy and in their want of due government he had omitted to visit them he visited them constantly and had latterly given them to understand that they would soon be required to subscribe their adherence to a new master there were now but five of them one of them having been but quite lately carried to his rest but five of the full number which had hitherto been twelve and which was now to be raised to twenty-four including women of these old bunce who for many years had been the favourite of the late warden was one and abel handy who had been the humble means of driving that warden from his home was another mr harding now resolved that he himself would introduce the new warden to the hospital he felt that many circumstances might conspire to make the men receive mr quiverful with aversion and disrespect he felt also that mr quiverful might himself feel some qualms of conscience if he entered the hospital with an idea that he did so in hostility to his predecessor mr harding therefore determined to walk in arm in arm with mr quiverful and to ask from these men their respectful obedience to their new master on returning to barchester he found that mr quiverful had not yet slept in the hospital-house or entered on his new duties he accordingly made known to that gentleman his wishes and his proposition was not rejected it was a bright clear morning though in november that mr harding and mr quiverful arm in arm walked through the hospital gate it was one tray in our old friend's character that he did nothing with parade he omitted even in the more important doings of his life that sort of parade by which most of us deem it necessary to grace our important doings we have housewarmings, christenings and gala days we keep if not our own birthdays those of our children we are apt to fuss ourselves if called upon to change our residences and have almost all of us our little state occasions mr harding had no state occasions when he left his old house he went forth from it with the same quiet composure as though he were merely taking his daily walk now that he re-entered it with another warden under his wing he did so with the same quiet step and calm demeanour he was a little less upright than he had been five years nay it was now nearly six years ago he walked perhaps a little slower his footfall was perhaps a thought less firm otherwise one might have said that he was merely returning with a friend under his arm this friendliness was everything to mr quiverful to him even in his poverty the thought that he was supplanting a brother clergyman so kind and courteous as mr harding had been very bitter under his circumstances it had been impossible for him to refuse the proffered boon he could not reject the bread that was offered to his children or refuse to ease the heavy burden that had so long oppressed that poor wife of his nevertheless it had been very grievous to him to think that in going to the hospital he might encounter the ill-will of his brethren in the diocese all this mr harding had fully comprehended it was for such feelings as these for the nice comprehension of such motives that his heart and intellect were peculiarly fitted in most matters of worldly import the archdeacon set down his father-in-law as little better than a fool and perhaps he was right but in some other matters equally important if they be rightly judged mr harding had he been so minded might with as much propriety have set down his son-in-law for a fool few men however are constituted as was mr harding he had that nice appreciation of the feelings of others which belongs of right exclusively to women arm in arm they walked into the inner quadrangle of the building and there the five old men met them mr harding shook hands with them all and then mr quiverful did the same with bunce mr harding shook hands twice and mr quiverful was about to repeat the same ceremony but the old man gave him no encouragement i am very glad to know that at last you have a new warden said mr harding in a very cheery voice we be very old for any change said one of them but we do suppose it be all for the best certainly certainly it is for the best said mr harding you will again have a clergyman of your own church under the same roof with you and a very excellent clergyman you will have it is a great satisfaction to me to know that so good a man is coming to take care of you and that it is no stranger but a friend of my own who will allow me from time to time to come in and see you we be very thankful to your reverence said another of them i need not tell you my good friends said mr quiverful how extremely grateful i am to mr harding for his kindness to me i must say his uncalled-for unexpected kindness they be always very kind said a third what i can do to fill the void which he left here i will do for your sake and my own i will do so and especially for his sake but to you who have known him i can never be the same well-loved friend and father that he has been no sir no said old bunce who hitherto had held his peace no one can be that, not if the new bishop sent a angel to us out of heaven, we doesn't doubt you'll do your best, sir, but you'll not be like the old master, not to us old ones. Fie, Bunce, fie, How dare you talk in that way, said Mr. Harding, but as he scolded the old man he still held him by his arm and pressed it with warm affection there was no getting up any enthusiasm in the matter how could five old men tottering away to their final resting-place be enthusiastic on the reception of a stranger what could mr quiverful be to them or they to mr quiverful had Mr. Harding indeed come back to them, some last flicker of joyous light might have shone forth on their aged cheeks, but it was in vain to bid them rejoice because Mr. Quiverful was about to move his fourteen children from Puddingdale into the hospital house. In reality, they did no doubt receive advantage, spiritual as well as corporal, but this they could neither anticipate nor acknowledge it was a dull affair enough this introduction of mr quiverful but still it had its effect the good which mr harding intended did not fall to the ground all the barchester world including the five old beadsmen treated mr quiverful with the more respect because mr harding had thus walked in arm in arm with him on his first entrance to his duties and here in their new abode, we will leave Mr. and Mrs. Quiverful and their fourteen children. May they enjoy the good things which Providence has at length given to them. End of chapter fifty two. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.